All right, get your Bible and turn with me to Luke chapter 15. And we're in a series of messages that we called Homecoming, Homecoming. And it's about the, a, a story that Jesus tells. Um, and we know it as the, the parable or the story of the prodigal son. And so in Luke chapter 15, Jesus is hanging out with sinners. I, this is what I love about Jesus personally is that um, sinners didn't like to hang out with religious people. Religious people didn't like to hang out with sinners, but Jesus liked to hang out with sinners and sinners liked to hang out with Jesus. So maybe the goal is not to be more religious, but more like Jesus. And so, um, and so um, I love that about him, but he's like eating an extended meal with sinners and, and tax collectors. And I don't know why the Bible links sinners with the IRS. That's kind of a theological issue. You can take that up with whoever or whomever. And, um, but he's hanging out and the Pharisees are like, this is horrible. How can this man be a teacher of the word of God and hanging out with such wretched people? And so Jesus tells them these three stories. A shepherd who had lost one sheep and he left 99 to go find the one. A widow had 10 coins, lost one coin, put nine aside, swept the house, searched until she found the one. And a son, uh, father had two sons. One took his inheritance and left and he waited and waited and waited for him to to Come, come back home. And so we've been talking about this last story, the, what we call the, the parable of the prodigal son. And, and today I, I want to continue with that. So if you're in Luke um, 20, I'm sorry, Luke 15, verse 20, it says, and he arose, this is the young son after, um, you know the story, like he, he gets his inheritance, he leaves home, he goes to Vegas, and he didn't go to Vegas to see Wayne Newton or Celine Dion or whoever's in Vegas now, I don't know whoever's doing their stint that we can go see. But anyways, uh, he went to Vegas for all the, not to play golf. Like he went, not, not for the pool. He went for the bad stuff. All right. So yeah, that stuff we're not going to talk about in church, you know, the prostitutes and the drugs and the drinking and you know, that stuff. So like he wasn't, he wasn't seeing Don Shane, you know, he was he was doing something else. All right. So, so he goes there and then he wastes all of his money and he gets into the food service industry and he's feeding pigs. And he said, how many of my father's servants have bread and I'm starving to death. I'll go to my father and I'll say, Hey, forgive me. I'm not worthy to be your son. Let me be like one of your servants. And so verse 20 says, and he arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion, and ran. I'm going to say it just because I love it. I've said it before. The only place in the entire Bible where you see God run is to the son who had screwed up the most. This is it right here. And he ran and embraced him, and he kissed him, and he said to him, the son said, Father, I've sinned against heaven, and before you I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But, and the father, if you read it, and I've said this, but just it's so good, because the father interrupts his I'm sorry speech with his I welcome home speech. And what we realize is the father had been practicing and preparing for his son to come home since before his son even knew he needed to come home. Today, if you need to come home, God's been waiting longer than you even thought about coming home. He's been standing there, not waiting to judge you, but waiting to welcome you home. And so he said to him, I've sinned against heaven before you. I'm no longer the father said, hey, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring out the fatted calf. And this is how we know it happened in Texas because it's a barbecue and let us eat and celebrate. That was probably sweet tea was involved. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. 
Um, I call this message in our series because the theme is homecoming, and we've done the away game and the home game and the breakup. And uh, this week, I want to talk to you about the home field advantage, the home field advantage. So can we pray together? Um, Jesus, um, we, we didn't get into this place by an accident. Because we have faith in you. I mean, accidents may happen for people that don't know you, but, but God, we're here because you wanted us to be here. And so, God, we don't want to miss this moment with you. We don't want to miss anything that you want to tell us. So, God, help us to keep distractions all out of our head, you know, and um, just don't let us miss this moment with you or anything that you want to say. So speak so clearly to us. Help us to understand in Jesus' name. Amen. A couple weeks ago um, in this series, the last message, what I said in the message that I, that I explained was that the aim of grace was encounter, right? So that, that grace wasn't about sin without consequence. It was about presence without interruption. The aim of grace was not sin without consequence. It was presence without interruption. It was the fact that I can be in the presence of God. That was the aim of grace, to be in the presence of God. And, and what I talked about was that the enemy of, of really grace is self-sufficiency, when I can do it on my own. And we talked about how um, the younger son's self-sufficiency looked like self-indulgence, and the older son's self-sufficiency looked like self-righteousness. The danger of religion is that you can become self-sufficient because you know enough of the rules to feel like you're doing a good job. And you can miss the presence of, like the older son missed the presence of the father, not because he wasn't there, but because he was relying on his goodness and not the father's grace. And, and so we said, hey, what is the answer to that? Well, the answer to self-sufficiency always has to be surrender. Like we have to live surrender. Like we, we never want to get to a place where we're relying on ourselves or thinking we're good enough um, or thinking we can do it our way. Like we want to live in that place of saying, no, Jesus, it's all of you. Like, God, we get you. It's, it's your way. And we say when we live in that place, like, like faith is it, what faith always looks like surrender. Works always look like striving. Religion teaches striving, right? Grace teaches surrender. The point of faith is the point of surrender. How do I know if I'm living in faith? What does the surrender look like? Surrender is the fruit of faith. Trusting in him more than you. Trusting in him above everything else. Like surrender is what faith looks like. And so that's what we said. We got to live in that place, that place of surrender. And so what I want to do is I just kind of want to build on that just for a minute to say that, that in that message, what I said was the aim of grace was encounter. Now, let me tell you what this message is in case you want to go to sleep but still talk intelligently about the sermon at lunch, okay? <laughs> the aim of grace is encounter. This is what I want to talk about. The aim of counter, the aim of encounter is transformation. The aim of grace is encounter. The aim of the encounter is transformation. And that's really what I want to talk about. And so you can write this down, point number one, if you like, you know, if you like taking notes. Um, if you don't like taking notes, you should probably still write it down. Um, but we are changed by grace. Very simple. We are changed by grace. Let me read you a scripture. Titus 2, verse 11. It says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people. So, so the grace of God has appeared, and it's bringing, like, this is, okay, so this is good news. This is the gospel. 
because we don't leave anybody out. The grace of God has appeared. You could say Jesus, but Jesus, grace is a person, not a doctrine. So grace has appeared, right? And, you know, of his fullness, we've all received and grace upon grace, like, and, and he came full of grace and truth. Like this is Jesus. The grace of God has all appeared, bringing salvation to who? To all people. So we're talking about this is what grace has done. Grace has come to bring salvation. It's the greatest thing because no matter what, God loves you. Whether you ever accept him or not, he loves you. Whether you ever follow him or not, he loves you just as much. Like he has come for, grace comes for everybody. Grace of God has appeared to bring salvation to all people. But what does grace do when it comes? Look at verse 12. Training us to renounce ungodliness. And worldly passions, okay, I know this is not popular, that the grace of God trains us, teaches us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled and to live upright and godly lives in this present age. The grace of Jesus comes to change me. The aim of grace is encounter, but that encounter leads to transformation. It cannot be grace if it leaves me the same. Amen. It's not grace if it leaves me the same. Right now we're law. Law tells me I need to change, but leaves me the same. Grace says you need to change, but here's the power to change. Grace does not Leave me alone. I mean, think about this. Okay, so here comes, the, here comes the prodigal son. He comes home. Now, let me ask honest questions. Play along. Trivia game. Use your holy imagination. He has been in Vegas, taking oxy, drinking too much, partying with prostitutes. Now he leaves there, and now he's in a pig pen, so hungry that he'd want to eat the slop. Let me ask you a question. Do you think he was dirty? Have you ever been in a pig pen? Do you think he was dirty? Do you think hanging out with prostitutes and all the stuff he was doing in Vegas, do you think he was also dirty on the inside? Right? Wouldn't it have been crazy if the father said, my son is home. Glad you're home. I mean, I'm glad you're here. You're going to stay dirty. You're going to stink, but you get to be here and stink. You get to be here and be dirty. Like we know he was dirty because this is where the mama is. That's why there's no mama in the text because he rounded the corner and you know how moms are? It's like, ooh, son. He ain't sitting on my couch like that. That's what she was thinking. And she went to get some bath water, right? And so we know he's dirty. And wouldn't it be crazy if the father said, hey, you're home. That's great. Stay dirty. But no, he immediately takes a robe of righteousness, just like the one we receive according to Isaiah, and he covers his filth. He goes to work. It said, quickly, bring her is what the father said. We got to get to work cleaning you up. Like the grace that receives you at home is the grace that changes you at home. And so he gives him like these, these, these physical gifts, but spiritually, these are things that happen to us. We receive, he who knew no sin became sin that we become the righteousness of God in Christ. Like we receive righteousness. He gave him a ring. A ring is a sign that you're in right relationship. It's a sign of authority. And it's also the guarantee of inheritance. In other words, he got a new inheritance. 
And then he gave him shoes. That was a sign that you're family, you're a son, you're not a, you're not a slave. And those are things that he received, but these are all things that we receive spiritually when we come home to, to the Father. But what I want you to understand is when you come home to the Father, grace will never leave you the same. It cannot leave you the same. If it leaves you the same, it's not grace. Amen. Look at this verse, 2 Corinthians 3.18. And I love 2 Corinthians 3.18, 16, 17. Um, 18. I love those verses um, because he's talking about in the old covenant, the law, whenever, the, whenever you're under the law, there's this veil. And so what does that mean? I can't see God, right? Because the law doesn't show me who God is. The rules don't show me who God is. They just show me what his standard is. Does that make sense? But they don't, they don't show me who he is. And that's part of the problem with a lot of religious people and a lot of legalistic people is they've got a standard and no relationship. And they, they've, they've, got, they've got what God, his standard is, but they don't have his heart. And when you have his standard without his heart, you'll stone some woman who was caught in adultery that Jesus wants to deliver. That's the danger of religion. Religion will kill things God's trying to save and bring back to life. Amen. And so... Um, <laughs> And so, but anyways, and then he goes through here and he said, you know, and this is where, you know, we with unveiled face said, where the spirit of the Lord, oh, I love this one, where the spirit, here's a plug for freedom, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Now we have a freedom conference coming up in October and I want every person in our church to be at the freedom conference. Yeah. I don't care, I, but, but, you know, here's what the first, but I'm free. No, you're not. You're not. I've met you. <laughs> if I haven't met you, I'm prophetic. You're not free. But here's what we think. Let me explain what I mean by that. Oh, I'm free. I'm not addicted to anything. See, that's not freedom. The Bible defines freedom where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. It is not the absence of addiction that's freedom. It's the presence of a person. Yes. Yes. So freedom is when I'm so full of the Holy Spirit, I look just like Jesus, and I'm able to be who God created and redeemed me to be without the depression, the anxiety, the anger, the fear, as well as the oxy or whatever controlled or uncontrolled substance it may be, or the bottle or porn or whatever it is. Like, yes, we want to be free from, but the Bible talks about freedom in terms of being free to be. Like when you can be fully you without the insecurities, without the shame, without the heartache, like that's freedom. Anyway, so he talks about that, but then he gets to 2 Corinthians 3.18. But we all, he says, again, I love this one because talking about all of us, with an unveiled face, this is grace. What has grace done? Grace has removed the veil. The law, whenever the law is given, there's a veil. I can't see God. I can see a standard. By the way, I should say this. Grace didn't change God's standard. That's right. Like, it's, like he still has kind of the same rule book. I think sometimes we think, oh, we're under grace now, so God doesn't think adultery is wrong. No, 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 he still thinks it's wrong. I can promise you, he is the Lord, he changes not. It's what Malachi said, right? Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Like, like, you know, well, now this, you know, it's not really wrong to do these things because it's like all of a sudden we think God doesn't have the same standard nowadays. God didn't change his standard. Adultery is adultery. Fornication is fornication, right? Lying is lying. Cheating is cheating. Stealing is stealing. Murder is murder. It's, it's all still the same. But anyways, but said with all with unveiled face. Now check this out. As beholding, now look at the, the word, beholding as in a mirror, not in a mirror, but as in a mirror, 
the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed in that same image from glory to glory by the Spirit of the Lord. Here's what he's saying. Here's what grace does. This is, this is grace. Grace changes me to be like what I behold. So in the old covenant, all I could see was law. I really couldn't see God. There's this veil. It's real fuzzy. But Jesus came, and he was the express image of God. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And because of that, because of that, now I can see God because he looks just like Jesus. Amen. See, a lot of people think God's the mean one and Jesus is the nice one. No, 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 no. <laughs> They're the same, Amen. right? Because some people are like, you know, God's trying to kill us all and Jesus is trying to save us all. That's not how it works. Not how it works. Like Jesus said, you've seen me. Like had God been with the woman at the well, he would have said the same thing. I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. That's what God would have said. Amen. Not just Jesus, okay? Because yes. yes. we got a problem. If God's trying to judge us and kill us and Jesus is trying to save us, then they're in a war. That's not good. Right? So it's kind of like if Jesus is trying to heal us, but God makes us sick. Some people say, well, God makes me sick. No, God doesn't make you sick. Jesus wants to heal you. Like, you've got a problem if they're not in agreement here because they're three in one, right? So, so now under the, under the veil of the law, I couldn't really see God. But now with Jesus, I can see him. And this is what it says. The goal is that I behold him until like a mirror, I reflect him. So the goal is that I behold him until I look just like him. Like, this is the aim of grace. Like, I'm not going to stay the same. Because of grace, I get to see Jesus. I get to see God. And now the Spirit of God is transforming me to look like what I see and reflect the glory of the one I behold. Amen. That's what the verse is saying. So the idea is that the Holy Spirit has come to change you. He has come to transform you. And, and, and by the way, by the way, this is good news. Like changing is good news. Why? Because you stink. Like we stink when we come to Jesus. We are stained with sin. Right? Though my sin be as scarlet, he has washed them. Like, I, like, I like this verse. I didn't give it to them, but I, I want to read it. It's going to offend people. That's okay. I didn't write it. Um, God did. And if you don't like it, email him, okay? And so um, 1 Corinthians 6, 9, it says, or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Now, time out. He is talking to church people. I think we should know this. Sometimes we read the Bible like, oh, he was talking to somebody. No, he's talking to you. He was talking to you. He's talking to church. Who was he talking to? Okay, now let's read. Or do you not know that wrongdoers will inherit the kingdom of God, will not inherit the kingdom of God. He's talking to church people and saying, I don't know if y'all know this, but some of y'all are not doing right. That's what he said. He's talking to church people. Now you got to remember, it's the Corinthian church, and they were as screwed up as the American church. I mean, they were almost as bad as us. I mean, they were sleeping with each other and getting drunk on communion wine, and that was their church service. So, and then screaming in tongues at one another. You talk about confused you're like, well, we're not that bad. No, but you're close. Okay, so I'm just, kid I'm just kidding. Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived of thinking God has changed his standard. Neither the sexually immoral. What does that mean? Sleeping with someone I'm not married to. I didn't invent that definition. God did. 
I didn't think I'd get a lot of amens. At least married men, that's where y'all had a chance there, married guy. Praise God. <laughs> Feeling a Sunday afternoon nap coming on. <laughs> Neither the sexually immoral. <laughs> Dear God, I'm sorry. Anyways, nor idolaters. That's just putting something in God's place. Putting something first nor adulterers sleeping with somebody that's married, nor men who have sex with men. That one seems pretty clear to me. Nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, time out. Here's what I know, because I've been doing this a while and I know me. I'm in that list. Let me tell you something else. You're in that list. Don't look at me like you're not in that list. I will come off here and lay hands on you suddenly. Don't you be pious and religious. You're on the list. How many say I'm on the list? Let's just, it's good. oh yes. Oh Lord, we're having revival already, Jesus. And this is what he said. This is what you were, because look what he says. And such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. This is what Paul said. You were a hot mess, but God did not leave you there. He washed you. He changed you. He sanctified you. He redeemed you. That's what he does. Grace changes you. If I was Pentecostal, I'd have taken off running right there. Like, like, like this is the new covenant. He doesn't just cover your sin. He washes it away. Grace changed you. Here's the second thing. It's really a restatement of the first thing because I wanted you to get the point. But the second thing is the Father never leaves us the same. Grace changes us because the Father never leaves you the same. We, we read it, but, but the, father, the Father brought, you know, here comes, <laughs> here comes the Son home, and he's a hot mess, and he's all stinky, and his hair's all matted, and he's got pig slop and mud, and, you know, he's just shoo, stinky. And he comes home, and the, and the Father comes out and says, quickly, bring me that robe and the ring and the sandals. I would submit to you, we could not call him a good father if he didn't immediately start trying to clean up his son. Amen. Like if he is not trying to change me, to free me, to deliver me, to clean me, to cleanse me. How can you call him a good father if he were to leave him the same? Amen. How could you call him a good father if he left you the same? Would, would that really be a good father at all? Like, no, no, it, it's not. And so what does the father do immediately when we come to him and he washes and he justifies and he, and he sanctifies? He gives us, just like this father gave gifts as soon as he came home, the father gives us a gift as soon as we come home. And it's not a what, it's a who. He gives us the Holy Spirit. Look at this, Luke eleven eleven. What father, <laughs> make a wish. <laughs> Did you ever do those, kid? Like it's eleven eleven. make a wish. 
You know, like when you're having a sleepover or something, hanging up all night, you know, just living, living, make a wish. Oh, I hope Sally Mae checks yes on the note I gave her. <laughs> Did y'all ever do? What, what are y'all doing? Like, uh, check yes or Do y'all not understand that? Do you like me? <laughs> I mean, George Strait wrote a song about this, y'all. Don't, if you don't know who George Strait is, you get out of this church right now and you don't come back. <laughs> You kidding. don't come back until you figure out who the king, he's the king, the king of country. And you go home and watch pure country. That's your assignment. Don't tell me you haven't seen pure country either. It's the only movie I think George Strait's ever been in. And no, he's not a good actor, but it's George Strait. But he couldn't be called a good father if, if he didn't try to change us. And just like this father gives physical gifts, our father gives us the Holy Spirit. Luke 11, 11. That's how we got here, make a wish done. What are we talking about? Anyways, <laughs> verse 11. I knew I should have taken my vitamins. Um, what, the father, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, he's going to give him a scorpion. He said, if you're evil and you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? To those who ask Him. So here's what he said. He said, I give you the Holy Spirit. Okay, this is, this is why grace is higher than law. This is the advantage. Um, I have it in my notes. Guys, I'm not going to read Hebrews 8. I'm going to explain it. So in Hebrews 8, the writer of Hebrews starts referencing a prophecy given in Ezekiel which is about this new covenant of grace that God's going to do. And what he says is that God's going to take out your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh and put his spirit in you. So under the law, you had a stony heart. In fact, there are, only, there are three conditions of the human heart. You should understand this. If you want to be a ministering preacher or you just want to be a person, there's, there's, there's the, 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 the hard heart, the stony heart, the awakened heart, and the repentant heart. It's the only three conditions your heart can be in. It's either hardened, awakened, or repentant, okay? So what he's saying, under the law, we all start, all of us start under the law. You have to receive grace. Righteousness is a gift you receive, not a goal you achieve, right? The law was a goal. Grace is a gift, right? So you have to receive grace. So what happens is I have a heart of stone. And what he says is, I want to take out the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh, and put my spirit in you. So what God does is through the preaching of the word, conversation with a friend, our heart is awakened. It went from being stony to being awakened. It softens just enough that we can say, wow, this Jesus, like this sounds like a good deal. Saving me from my sin, helping me in my life, transforming me, purpose, all the things about the gospel, all the promises. This sounds good. So I'm going to repent of my sin. I think there are a lot of church people walking around with an awakened heart and you think it's a repentant heart because mentally you agree God is God, but you have never repented. There are three conditions of the heart. And there are a lot of this happens every Easter. People flood in. We, we, our church tenants doubles or triples. And everybody floods in. And they hear the message. And their heart gets awakened. And some of them stop right there and say, I'll hear you again next year, brother. This was entertaining. You did good. And they think because in their mind, yep, Jesus is Jesus and God is God. They're saved. No, did you repent? 
Did something change? This is the advantage of grace. The law demands righteousness of people with stony hearts. So it demands righteousness, but it can't change me. It can't make, it can't empower me to live righteous. Grace softens my heart, changes my heart, and I repent. And now I have the power of God by his spirit, empowering righteousness, teaching me righteousness. I mean, what is more powerful, God's hand on a stone tablet or God's hand on your heart? Like this is why grace is more powerful. This is, this is why it's higher. It's an improved, it's an upgrade. It's a better law because now he's in here and he's riding on my heart and he's saying, hey, let's not do that. Hey, that's gonna lead to death. Hey, you're gonna, you're gonna regret that one. And at the same time, he's teaching me to live godly. And like, like this is it. But, but I've got to go from that stony heart to the awakened heart to the repentant heart. And that's what grace does. And under law, all we have is this stony heart. And that's why God says, this will never, this will never. I love you too much to leave you with a hard heart. So I'm going to send Jesus. He's going to die, be risen again so the Holy Spirit can come. So that when the Holy Spirit comes, he can change your heart. He can soften your heart. And now, and now you don't just have this law on a tablet, but you have the law giver inside of you. Amen. Like you can know, that's what he said. No longer will you have to teach people saying, know the Lord. He said, because you will know the Lord from the least to the greatest. Like as young or as old, God's going, you can know him. He can be here. Like th- this, is, this is the advantage of grace. And what you need is to understand is, that when the Holy Spirit moves in, he brings his tool belt. Romans 8 said he leads us in adoption. Romans 8 also says, we being predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. In other words, the Holy Spirit shows up and this is what he says. We got to go to work because you don't look like Jesus. Now, let me explain something. We are three parts, spirit, soul, and body, right? Spirit, soul, and body. When Adam died, and you've heard me say this, but just so you understand, when Adam died, he died immediately in his spirit, progressively in his soul, and ultimately in his body. Grace changes us, saves us immediately in our spirit, progressively in our soul, and ultimately in our body. So our spirit, that's what communicates with God, and that's what's resurrected when we receive Christ. Our soul, that's our mind, our will, and our emotions. So that's what we think, the decisions we make, and what we feel, right? That's our emotion, right? Which every bad decision comes out of there. Everything you've ever regretted came out of the soul, right? And then, and then there's a body. So then we're saved. The Bible says the spirits of just men made perfect. It's talking about being saved. And our spirit is made perfect. But our soul is being perfected. Hebrews said he is perfected forever, those who are being sanctified. So our soul, you can't be more, our spirit, you can't be more or less saved. Here's what I'm saying. The moment you're saved, your spirit looks just like Jesus, it does. There's, there's no more saved, less saved, not in the spirit. You are a son. You are justified. You're redeemed. You're saved. You look just like Jesus in your spirit. But let's go over to the soul. You look just like the devil in your soul. <laughs> well, that was harsh. <laughs> right? 
You have desires that aren't right. You have thoughts that aren't right. You're making decisions that aren't right. Now you're saved and and your spirit looks like Jesus. But now the Holy Spirit moves in. And he says, "Woo, Bubba, we got to work on some stuff. This is a hot mess. And so the Holy Spirit, his job, remember, as beholding in a mirror until I reflect the glory of God, until I look just like Jesus, his job is to work in me until I look like Jesus. So you think about what was the things the Holy Spirit does. I didn't write down all the scriptures, but all of these are scriptures. He convicts. He guides us into truth. Now, not our truth, the real truth. Right? Because some of us create our own truth. By the way, if your God never disagrees with you, then your God is not God. Your God is you. If your God never disagrees with you, you've made you your God, and you've just called him God. You've made it like, 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 like Israel in, in, in the wilderness, you've made a golden calf and named it God, but that's not God. Because God loves, yes, he loves you just as you are. Yes, he loves every person, just, but he loves you too much to leave you that way. Amen. So he guides into his truth. He teaches, he counsels, he helps. Why? Because his, his, his goal is to transform us. Can I tell you what my biggest burden is today? And, and this is going to be a lot to handle on a holiday weekend, but I'm just going to go there. I love... I love what we would call Christianity because it is all-inclusive. Whosoever will may come. I don't think Christianity is a religion because it doesn't meet the criteria by definition. A religion is a set standard rules whereby a person achieves favor with a deity. Christianity is not about our pursuit of God's favor It's about God's pursuit of us to give us favor. Like it's what God did to get to us, not what we do to get to God. So I don't think it's religion, but but what I love is every other religion is, I mean, it's it's exclusive. I mean, you have to do all these things just right and 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 but but Christianity is like, and and by the way, what I mean by that is you do all these things, and then if you did them all right, you'll find out on the end whether you made it or not. Right? That's a religion, right? Christianity is, is where God comes to us and he starts us in the position of Christ and then we work from salvation, not for salvation. Right. That's what makes it different. Yes. And, and it's all inclusive. Whosoever will may come. But here's my concern. I think the modern church is making a great mistake because we've made it so inclusive, we've made it tolerant of things that God doesn't tolerate. Because we're preaching a gospel that doesn't demand change, that doesn't inspire change. Just like, no, if, if you know, you just come and you just, you know, yeah, whosoever will, you know, Jesus loves you just as you are. Yes, that's where Jesus starts, but that's not where he stops. That's how you get in the door, but that's not what he's working towards. And it's like we've made it, we've, we've changed the standard of God that now we're under grace so God no longer cares about sin and he no longer thinks anything is wrong and you just live your life and do your best and however you want to live and, and now people take the Bible just to justify their own lifestyle. 
which is reckless. They don't exegete scripture anymore. They eisegete it. They isolate it and and put into it what they want. When really, theologically, you exegete a passage, which is to read out of it truth. And then that has to be consistent with the entire Bible, not just how I feel today. Not just what I'm trying to justify today. And my concern is we're preaching a gospel that's not a gospel at all because a gospel that cannot change you is not good news. A gospel that leaves you in your sin and your brokenness and your shame and your pain is not good news. A gospel that puts lipstick on a pig is not good news. A gospel that transforms a pig into bacon, that's a holy thing. That's the power of a pig is the superpower. Whatever you feed it, it turns into bacon. That's a miracle. (laughs) But this is my, like, this is my burden because, and, and I'm not against it. I'm for everybody, but I'm saying, where is the gospel that says he didn't save you to sin? He saved you from sin. He didn't save you. Look, look how, how crazy would it have been? For this son to come home stinky, as, as, as Revelation said, wretched and poor, naked and blind, we come, right? And how crazy would it have been for this guy to come? And I mean, he is nasty and dingy and his clothes are tattered and torn and he stinks. And the father says, I'm so glad you're home. Bring out the robe of righteousness and bring out the ring and bring out the sandals. He's like, no, I kind of like my stink. It's, it's kind of a, it's not a musk, it's a must it's uh, like, I don't, I, you know, I want the barbecue, God, but I don't really want to change anything. Like, I don't want to give up this relationship. I don't want to move out from someone I should be moving out from. I, I don't want to stop drinking this or taking that or doing this or clicking on that. Like, I don't want to stop swiping right. I get lonely on Friday night, but I'm going to give my Sunday morning. I want some barbecue, but don't, I'm okay with my filth. I mean, how we would say, that man's insane. That's crazy. Like, he wants to clean you up and give you a robe and a ring and shoes. Like, he wants to take care of you. Like, no, no, I eat your barbecue, but I kind of like my mess. Or better yet, how crazy would it have been if he had said, yes, give me the robe and the ring and the shoes. Okay, I'm going back to the pig pen. I'm going to take my new robe of righteousness and go waller in the slop with it. Like Proverbs says, a dog returning to vomit. Thank you for making me right. I'm going to go back to Vegas now. I'm going to go back to the pig pen now. Like we would say, man, you are insane. Like he's trying to change you, redeem you, deliver you, and transform you. He's not only saving you from what you did, he's saving you from what's broken in here that would make you go back to it. How crazy would it be to say, no, I'm going back. I kind of like the slop. And this is my concern. I mean, this is what I need you to know. Before you come to Jesus, the wages of sin are death. After you come to Jesus, the wages of sin are death. Death pays on time every time. Sin pays on time every time. We are not saved to sin. 
we're saved from sin. Like this is my it's my burden. Like like if the only difference between your life and everybody else's is you got a fish on your bumper, don't call yourself a Christian. Change your name. Say I'm a heathen, but I go to church on Easter. But here's what we understand. The transformation is good. That's the good news. That's right. Peter says, I get a new nature. Like the divine nature of God that teaches me to love and teaches me to forgive. Like I get God's nature. And then I get the fruit of the Spirit, which is love and joy and peace and kindness, and gentleness, and self like, like, I get the fruit. Like, this is good news. I get to, ch- I don't have to be stuck in sin. I don't have to be broken and ashamed. I don't have to be dirty. And sin. Like, I, I get the Holy Spirit who changes me. You know what? And he said, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and peace. Do you know why? Can I just say something? A lot of people are like, well, I don't have peace, and I, I'm not judging you. But let me just offer something, is that... Um, Lord, help me say it in a nice way because I really want to be nice. Um, I think the reason some people don't experience love and joy and peace in those things is because you're trying to have his fruit in your sin. I mean, that was nice, kind of. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Like, like the furthest, you don't find the fruit of the Spirit in the pig pen. You find it in the presence of God. And, and you... you, you, you the Holy Spirit moves in and he wants to give you peace, but the Holy Spirit is never going to lead you in sin. God will never give you anything that takes you away from him. He will never give you anything that leads you in sin. And, and if you're being led into sin and those things, he can't give you peace because he doesn't want you to stay there. Right? Because the Father never leaves us um, where we were. Okay, I'm going to try to sum up point three because I'm way out of time and I'm so sorry and you've been so good. But here's the point number three is we have to have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit is the gift that moves into our heart that changes us, if he is the person that moves in and changes us, then we have to develop a relationship with the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 13, 14, let me give you this verse. It says, the grace of the Lord Jesus, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. (laughs) That's one of my favorite verses because it's the Trinity. You see them and you see what they do. Look at this. The love of God gave us the grace of Jesus, gives us relationship with the Holy Spirit. I mean, it's it's awesome. But when you look at the New Testament church, they thrive because they had a relationship with the Holy Spirit. And I mean, let me give you a couple of scriptures. We won't read them. I'll just, like Acts 16, it says, the Holy Spirit forbid us to go there. This is why you need the Holy Spirit, because there are times he needs to say, hey, don't go there. How many have ever went there and regretted going there? And you knew you shouldn't have gone there, but you went there. That's why you need the Holy Spirit. He can say, don't go. The great thing about the Holy Spirit being inside you is he'll tell you you're going to regret it before you do it so you don't actually have to regret it. That's right. Yeah. Acts 13, the Holy Spirit said, set aside Paul and Barnabas. What if the Holy Spirit could say, hey, here's what I want you to do. 
Here's, here's what you need to do. Or, or Acts 15, it seemed good to us and the Holy Spirit. This is when they're having the Jewish council about the Gentiles that got saved and should they keep the law or not. They say, hey, it seemed good to us and the Holy Spirit. What would it be like to like go through life and you're offered promotion and you pray and you're like, yep, that seems good to me and the Holy Spirit. And someone calls you up on Friday night and says, hey, you want to come hang out? And you're like, the Holy Spirit has forbid me to go. Like, it's not you. It's where you're at, <laughs> Right? Like, wouldn't it be great to live with the Holy Spirit? Galatians 5 said, if we live by the Spirit, let us walk by the Spirit. That means to be ruled by and to be led by. To be ruled by and to be led by. In other words, we develop a sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. There are two guardrails when you have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. All right, and this is from Scripture. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit and don't quench the Holy Spirit. Grieving the Holy Spirit means I overstepped a boundary. I did something I shouldn't have. Quenching the Holy Spirit means I didn't do something he was leading me to do. Grief is more about character. Quench is more about power. Quench, if you need a picture for this, most people understand grief, but if you need a picture for quench, think about crimping a water hose. Did y'all ever drink out of water hoses? Like when we were kids, you know, mom put us outside with the toys or the basketball or the baseball and a water hose and and bicycles, and we were gone all day. We got thirsty. We just came by the water hose, you know, and you'd take a drink, then you'd crimp it and hand it to the next guy. Anybody grow up in the South? Yep. All right. Yeah, that's how life worked. And uh, when it was simpler, and you stayed out till the streetlights came on. Yeah, didn't have the cell phone. Anyway, whatever. The point is, crimp the hose, stop the flow. So here's what he's saying the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit is leading in him, leaning on him in such a way that I never transgress a boundary he's trying to set up, that I never step over, that I never do anything that grieves him, right? And over here, that I never stop the flow of him in my life. The Holy Spirit is in you as a river. Let me say another way. He's in you and he'd like out. He wants to flow through your life, so you don't want to stop the flow. So when the Holy Spirit says love or give or serve or help, or talk to that person, or help that person, or whatever, then, then we don't want to quench the flow of the Holy Spirit, and we don't want to grieve him by stepping over the boundary and doing something that he's like, no, 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 don't, don't do that. That's going to take you away from God. That's going to cost you. That's right. Are you with me? And so what we do is we develop a sensitivity to the Holy Spirit, because when we start, a lot of times we kind of run into these guardrails, right, like this. And, and what happens is you develop a sensitivity to the Holy Spirit, and, and the goal is that you get steady and you're like, okay, now I'm just, I'm going, you know, if you've been saved a hundred years, you're still running into every guardrail of the Holy Spirit. You haven't developed enough sensitivity. Now, how you develop sensitivity is through surrender. The more I surrender to him, the more I listen to him, the more he talks, right? The more I surrender to him, the more he speaks. I think sometimes when people say, you know, I'm just not getting anything from the Holy Spirit. I'm like, I want to ask the question, how long have you been ignoring him? Because he's, he's speaking like we're putting out big boy food today, aren't we? Like, <laughs> bring your big boy pants, right? But I'm just saying in our lives when we just keep ignoring him, keep ignoring him, keep ignoring him, he's like, okay. Let me give you a picture and then we'll, we'll for real be done. Um. When you get saved, the Holy Spirit moves in. Have you ever seen those extreme home makeover shows? Has anybody seen those? Move that bus. You know, they move the bus around. Ah! 
out and they fall down. It's kind of funny. Slaying in the spirit. <laughs> um, anybody ever heard of Chip and Joanna Gaines? So um, all the women are like, yeah. All the men are like, who? Um, yeah, the project you're doing on Monday is probably because of Chip and Joanna Gaines, sir. I just hate to tell you that. Um, when you get saved, the Holy Spirit moves into your house. See, you encounter God at his house, and then he changes you in your house. And when you encounter God in his house, he gives you the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit is the most amazing redesign, renovation architect that, that has ever existed. And so what happens is, as soon as you accept Christ and the Holy Spirit comes in, the Holy Spirit gets his tool belt on, and he gets his paint swashes and, and all this, and he moves into your house. And he starts looking around, and he's like, yeah, we could take that wall out. And yeah, we need some new flooring, like my feet are sticking to the carpet. I don't know what you've been doing in here, but it's like a dollar theater all of a sudden. It's like if you stand in one place for more than two seconds, you have to leave your shoes behind. Is it a giant mouse trap or is this carpet? I have no idea. And he starts talking, he's like, yeah, I mean, we got to do something with that wall. I mean, that's like pea green and it was probably cool in the 70s, but it's a hot mess today. Like, and he's like, we're going we're gonna to put some, put some paneling up over, not paneling. <laughs> shiplap. <laughs> holy shiplap. All right, that's what we're going to put. <laughs> put some holy shiplap right up here to cover this up. Lord, that was a mess. I don't know how you got that hole in the wall, but I got some shiplap for that. And, and he moves in with this blueprint that God gave him of how your house is supposed to look. And he says, I have this from the Father, the Creator, and I'm going to make your hot mess of a house look like something you've never beheld before. But here's the thing. you got to let him. And I'm afraid some of us have Chip and Joanna living on our couch because we've never let them start working. And it's getting a little awkward. Because you're walking out in the mornings and there's Chip and Joanna at your couch and coffee tables, the blueprint, and they've got their tape measure and their paint swashes. And you're like, walking by in your bathrobe on your way to get your Cocoa Pebbles or whatever. You're like, hey, good morning. You know, and they're like, hey, it's all paid for. We want to redesign it. And I'm afraid a lot of us like, you know, but it's kind of comfortable the way it is. I kind of like it. And they're like, yeah, but you wouldn't want anybody to come in here. Like, you don't want anybody to see that. Like, and here's what I'm saying. This is what God in his grace does. He's like, hey, if you'll work with me between grieving and quenching and let the Holy Spirit work in your life, he will transform everything on the inside to make it the most beautiful thing based on the design that I gave him, the blueprint that I had when I envisioned you before you were formed in your mother's womb. I knew you and I had a plan and I had a blueprint that came from my heart. And now he's in your heart with that blueprint. Please let him work. Until you look just like one of my kids. Until you radiate like beholding in a mirror, like reflect the glory of God. Like let him work. Amen. That's all I got. That's all I got. Why don't you stand with me and... Um,
And let's pray. Jesus, thank you that we get you, that we get the Holy Spirit. Thank you that you don't leave us the same. You don't leave us the same. You you love us too much. You don't leave us the same. So God, we want to we want to walk in relationship to the Holy Spirit and, and be transformed. Will you take a moment and maybe ask God, hey God, what is it you're wanting to do in my life? Like ask him what the next step of the renovation looks like. Ask him, God, what is it you want to change? What is it you want to paint? What is it you want to take out or put in? Or I mean, It's okay to say, God, if, if you're in me, then you're in me and you're wanting to work and to renovate and change and transform. And God, I don't want to hold you up. So God, talk to me about this this next phase of the renovation project. Talk to me about things I need to get out of my life or things I need to stop. And talk to me about things you want to put in or things I need to start. And so God, I pray you would talk to, to every person. And with our heads bowed, you're just listening for Jesus to talk. And if you're watching online, don't turn it off yet because... I'm going to ask you something too. But as our heads are bowed, you listen to Jesus. If there's somebody in here and you need a relationship with Jesus, maybe you never understood that it wasn't just about saying, hey, Jesus is God, but it's about letting him come into your life and transform you, about surrendering all of your life to him. And maybe that's what you feel like. You're like, wow, I've had an awakened heart, but I don't know that I've ever had a repentant heart. I don't, I don't know that I've ever, that I've ever changed. then I want to pray for you. Whether you're online or in the room, I want to pray for you. So with their heads bowed, if that's you, and you're like, you know what? That's, I want to change. I want to be saved. Like, I want to be saved from my sin. And I want to be saved to be who God wants me to be. Then I want to pray for you. So no one's looking around, but if that's you, and you're in this room, or you're online, if you're online, I want you to participate. But if that's you, I just want you to lift your hand up and say, that's me. Like, that's what I want. Yeah, God bless you. Thank you. Awesome. God bless you. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Online. Yeah, thank you. I'm going to ask our, our prayer team to come. And, and here's what I'm going to say. I'm gonna, if you lift your hand, I'm going to pray with you. But I'm going to, like, almost beg you to say, if you lifted your hand at the end when people come for prayer, I want you to come down too. Because I don't want to be guilty of just praying with you that your life would change and us not standing with you, becoming family, partnering with you, and helping you to be successful in your relationship with Jesus. So we have some things to give you. We can get you connected to a fresh start life group or new believing life group, new faith, whatever, however you want to term it. But we want to get you connected is the point so that you're successful. And so if you lift your hands our heads are bowed. No one's looking around. But if you lift your hands, then you you pray from your heart. And the words are not as important as the heart, really. But you would just pray something like this. Like, Jesus, forgive me. Wash me. Change me. Transform me. Like, God, I, I believe in you. And I believe in Jesus. And I believe he died and rose again for me. And I want to know you. And I want to be transformed. I want to look like you. So... Help me today. Forgive me today. Make me new 
a new creation today. And God, I pray that you would do that and they would hear your voice and you would begin work and you would transform them. I pray they would come to the front and get connected. And God, I pray anyone who needs prayer today, God would come and, and just experience your grace. And God, for all of our church, God, let us partner with you to see your glory in our lives. Um, in Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. amen. Come on, can you give Jesus one more praise? And... Listen, I love you so much. You're amazing. I hope you have a great weekend. If you need prayer, you lift your hand, then you make your way this way. Everybody else, you can make your way that way. If you can hurry and get your kids, they would greatly appreciate it. It's all my fault. I'm sorry. I love you. I'll see you next weekend.